Hi guys, it's Joe Whitcomb here with Reboot Your Relationship, and we're on for another episode of my approach here with working with couples, and this is going to be, I work as a trauma-informed relationship psychologist, psychotherapist, and we're going to be talking about projections today, and we're going to be talking a little bit about how uh, when, when partners write internal movie scripts that hurt the relationship, and uh, we're talking about these projections because it's important because it's germane to you, it's germane to me, and it's germane to our all of our relationships and how we are in relationship and how we are relating to one another in relationship. Um, and we're going to talk about the brain, okay? So again, this isn't rocket surgery, but it is brain science. And so we're going to get into some of that today and just begin to talk about certain patterns, patterns of thought, uh, habits of action, all these things that go on within and between us. And these are, some of them are what we call in, uh, uh, as cognitive distortions. But, uh, so here's the thing. Um, a central function of the brain is to detect patterns. It must make, we must make, sense of the data that bombards us from our ongoing internal and external experiences. And we have a thing called selective attention. So if anyone's curious about what selective attention is, you can Google a video called uh, Selective Attention and the Gorilla Experiment. And it should be kind of interesting to watch that. But this is going to be important to understand because as an aspect of this function is to support the sense of continuity, cohesiveness of our self. One way to understand this is our brain's bias for a narrative. We have to have a story and a narrative to understand ourselves, the world, um, our relationships, everything. So I talk about this quite a bit is that when in any relationship there are six people. <laughs> I get this all the time. Like, what are you talking about, Joe? There's six people. Are you delusional? No, I'm not delusional. What I'm, how this works is there's six people. So let's say there's me, right? There's my view of me, myself, my, my I, and how I view me. The good, the bad, the ugly. The, um, we also talk about you know, my dreams, my fears, my wants, my longings, my desires, my hurts, my trauma, all that stuff that's within me. And then there's me and my view of, let's say, you, right? And how I observe you and look at you and think of you. And then there's your view of yourself with all those hurts, habits, hang-ups, and your own stories and narratives and, you know, pain, trauma, dreams, wants, long fears. And then all that gets into our movie script, and that script now will have a influence on some of us on how we project that onto other people in our view. So now you have a view of me as well. And then there's who I am and who you are without all of those ego defenses, projections, scripts, movie scripts in our head. And that's an important thing because here's the thing. The brain does not function well without purpose, meaning, cohesion, this connectivity that we're talking about 
And we're always busy trying to filter and assemble this data towards a cosmos. And in all relationship, there are multiple dimensions occurring simultaneously. And it's really hard for our brain to kind of understand and put it all together because the brain cannot exist in chaos without severe repercussions for mental health and functioning in, a, in, a, in this larger context we call our world. So the magnitude of that data that the brain is required then to process makes it inevitable that significant omissions or mistakes or distortions occur. And these errors in pattern detection or pattern recognition and assembling are filled by the left brain in a narrator type of function. So you have this story and all this chatter and the left brain narrator function often works in collaboration with the right brain, which is our experiencing function and sometimes in opposition to it. So it's kind of like this idea of the symmetry, right? The symmetry of these two, the, the, the yin and yang, the, the pull, the push, the pull, and he's got these two binary positions that are constantly trying to figure things out. So, for example, there was research done by Nobel Peace Prize laureate Daniel Kahneman shows that the narrative function of our left brain hemisphere does not fully transcribe the experience of our right brain hemisphere. This means that our capacity for really assessment and reality testing and goal setting and uh, is is rather flawed. And so according to Kahneman and others, we often follow this narrative and lead of the left hemisphere, discarding the experiential data of the right hemisphere. So let's say something happens, right, in your relationship. Something happens, you get triggered, and you don't have any way of really understanding what's occurring. And so our brain begins to kind of do this reverse engineering and rewriting history and trying to fill in all these gaps and connect the dots and all that's occurring again in these multiple dimensions in our mind, in our relationships, simultaneously. These are co-occurring within and between and we get into these kind of unconscious patterns, patterns of thought and then our actions that go with it. So here's where we talk about the power of projection. As Humans, we organize around social relationships and these networks, and we want to make sense of these connections, right? It's all connections. Everything's connection. Our development's developed by, this, by a high degree of curiosity and malleability and flexibility, and these neurons grow at astonishing rates while the brain's busy creating this myriad of connections, thinking about the cosmos and about the stars and uh, this this universe of connections, all these little fireflies <laughs> all going off in your brain, the synapse, because as the brain develops patterns and grooves, um, they can also create certain ruts, right? And that makes sense for an organism if in its specific living situation. And what happens is we will prune and discard neurons and connections that are less essential for our survival. And that's critically important because over time the patterns constructed here determine like the data that is selected and this non-forming data is often eliminated 
and consequently the rate of misconception or misappraisal or misconstructions and increases as the brain fills and the missed data points according to the meaning and the patterns of this particular narrative. So as we begin to look at this over time again we're making up the so let's say something happens and you have a story about something and we're all we're meaning making machines and so we're always adding subtracting meaning and we're looking for evidence to support some of these connections that we're making in our brain and these perceptions begin to shape how we are again are viewing ourselves, viewing the world projecting viewing a partner and all this stuff where we get into the some of the complain defend complain defend patterns and these vicious cycles and this is important to recognize that to stop and suspend judgment think observe process and kind of get a thirty thousand feet view on how we're viewing certain conflict or our relationship or how we're viewing things there's a really interesting uh, story that Stephen Covey talks about in his book, Seven Steps to Highly Successful People. He talks about this perception, and this is a, an amazing story that he tells about he's uh, on this train, and it's late, and it's dark, and everybody's tired. They're all laying down. The lights go out, and then all of a sudden, this father comes on this train with three young boys. He sits down. And he looks out the window, and the little boys are running around crazy, and you know they're causing a lot of ruckus and roddy, 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 and everybody's now you're a passenger, right? On this train, you have a projection, a story, a theory of motivation, a, and you're feeling stuff, right? You're, what are you thinking and feeling about this person? What are you projecting? What a terrible father. Oh, my God, he just can't take care of his own children. And he's, these kids are running around, and you're getting worked up in these patterns, and you're trying to make the connection of why in the world we're going, what's wrong with this father, right? Rather than asking what's happening here, which is a different question, by the way. So they look at Stephen Covey, and they go, Stephen, hey, Stephen, and kind of make him the chairman of this intervention, and they have him run interference and intervention with the father and say, hey, you know, what's going on here with your kids? I mean, they're running around crazy and we're all trying to sleep. And Because and, uh, now if you're the passenger, what are some of the thoughts and feelings you're having? Again, you're feeling anger. You're feeling irritation. You're feeling frustration. You're tired. You're exhausted. You have a theory that this father's lazy or whatever story you put on their projection about what's occurring in that snapshot moment, right? This is important because he turns to the father and the father comes out of his trance as he comes out of the window and he looks at everybody and he apologizes and he says, I am so sorry. We just came from the hospital. My wife died. Their mother died and we don't know what to do. Data, information. Now we have a different context, different understanding, information, data, this is such an important thing because in that snapshot moment, nothing changed, but everything changed. There was a shift in perception, which is the ultimate miracle in all of a relationship is that we have this shift in a perception to see the innocence in someone and not the guilt or 
whatever. So this is an important aspect of all of our relationships that suspending that judgment, being curious, leaning in, trying to connect to somebody, making that connection and having a shift of focus in our state and how, what things are going on in that moment. Now I make a distinction in my practice between first order change and second order change. And what's the distinction? Well, first order change is behavior modification, just changing your behavior. Um, quit smoking, you know, stop that, do this, do this, don't do that. You know, these are, that's behavior modification. Second order change, when I work with clients and couples and all my uh, relationship stuff that I do, is to really focus on what's called second order change. And that is a change and a shift in our projections and perceptions. Because guess what? Did I, did, did anyone have to teach or inform or cajole or inspire anyone to do anything other than now you have more information, more data, your, your story has just shifted. Does anyone have to teach or do a behavior modification, say, go com provide comfort to these kids and wrap your arms around them and love them and support the father going through this grief and these kids going through the grief too and this loss and this confusion and bewilderment and, and sadness. All this stuff goes on. So without being able to kind of hit the circuit breaker on the movie and kind of stop the movie and rewind the movie beginning in our head, then this becomes one of our patterns, right? So over time, patterns are constructed that determine the data that is selected. And non-conforming data is often eliminated. So if you didn't, you know, um, challenge that thought or that emotion, the rate of misconception and again, misappraisals and all that stuff increases our brain and fills in the missed data points according to these meaning patterns of its our own story or narrative so increasingly now we need to take shortcuts to understanding and reality testing and being curious we see reality through the lens of our own narrative and that develops the power of projection the story and there in our long-term relationships these projections can thicken until a partner increasingly resembles our early attachment figures, our own, so it creates our own patterns of uh, attachment patterns, um, these attachment injuries, these attachment um, uh, uh, systems that go on over and over again and we continue to loop around in, the, in our nervous system and our brain that these things are tr true for us because because we think we can think about the expansions and deepening of the projective field as a movie in which we cast our partners in that main role opposite to us, right? And, and that's the thing that gets caught up for us. So through this continuous projection due to part of the brain's need to conserve energy and that selective attention and the impact of this traumatic and reorganizing experiences here, the perception of the partner can be increasingly distorted according to the underlying templates that we have of our personal lives and history. And this leads to misunderstanding in the starring roles. Again, the six people in the dyad and the relationship.
because this correlation between our early attachment patterns and our adult attachment patterns and these imprints is extraordinarily high and these internal working models developed during childhood begin to endure into adult life and are activated most strongly in our romantic relationships and attachments and our bonds because those are the people that we're looking to for to be the safest place on earth and because the 96 million dollar question that we ask since childhood is you know in our attachment system is are you there for me can i count on you do you have my back do i matter am i important are you accessible responsive engaging emotionally and if it's a yes then we find that sense of safety and comfort we're able to connect that we're safe and there's a connection that love and connection belonging is accessible to us and available and we're good so that movie narrative is okay now if it's no or creates a lot of uncertainty that's when the projections start and we start looking around trying to find the negative right and we're trying to find the devil we're trying to find whatever so imagine you growing up in a forest right you grow up in a forest or you're walking through this forest, you're walking through the grass, and you see this brown squiggly thing. And you go as a child, and you go pick it up, and it's a stick. So now you kind of code, decode all brown squiggly things at that point as sticks. And it's useful for walking, protecting, whatever you use it for. However, let's say your partner walks through the forest, this, this grass, and they see brown squiggly thing. You go pick it up, and it bites them, and it's a snake. So now our brain is now coding, decoding all brown squiggly things as something dangerous, a snake. Danger, danger, danger. And so now that begins to shape, code, and decode all of our view of that. So that traumatic experience begins to get encoded in the brain, the nervous system, the body, the body keeps score. All that's occurring. So here's the thing about our relationships and becoming more conscious and awake and aware in our relationships because now we have now arrived in our mutual movie theaters where our childhood dramas or unprocessed tragedies our hurts or pains or hang-ups or you know disappointments abandonment dangerous danger 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 and this misattunement early relationships are acted out with our partners in the starring role and this is almost always, always the crux and the issue of, and the X factor is you're trying to solve for ca this calculus problem where you never learned the, the fifth grade level fractions, decimals, integers, algebra, you're trying to solve for X for this. And that was a, a way of surviving and that worked for you. But here we go. This insecure, angry resistance goes on to, or may go on into this emotional roller coaster. The come close, get away, the vacillation, the high tides, low tides, and create a whiplash in, let's say, the avoidant partner or the island in the relationship. And the insecure avoidant can disappear from the relationship in a disassociation or a flight, it kind of triggers the fear response. And that tightens the survival restrictions and leaves the partner abandoned and desperate going into this attachment protest for because that triggers some kind of fear, right? A fear of 
loss, abandonment. So the protest, if you ever see this with couples, one person's ghosting or abandoning or giving them a silent treatment or stonewalling, working against the resolve, the restore, the repair, the reconciliation, and the other person's blowing up the phone saying, hey, where are you? Because there's this threat, right? Another threat in the relationship. So as this, these movies run, we feel deeply misunderstood, powerless, hopeless, or full of resentment because there's, there's this loss in that moment. We want to give up and get out, and our system's overcome by you know, all the stuff that's going on in your brain and our heart rate intensifying, our memory gets hijacked, our amygdala, and an orange or red alert saying, danger, 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 danger. This is scary. And then we have the base, this other part of the brain science here, the basolateral amygdala, where restored, threatening, and highly emotional experience activates. And then we scan for more threat. We're looking for that, you know, looking for that snake. So we scan for threat for, let's say, angry faces or disappointment and scanning our partner's nervous system and our ability to access these higher cortical areas are diminishing. And then we get into our double bind, which is these two people, kind of like a trauma loop, trauma bond with affect and emotional contagion. Now we're pinging off each other in this kind of fear dance, this pain dance, this anxiety, and our ability to really access this higher cortical area diminishes. And the movie may star our partner as this intrusive mother, this kind of a hailstorm and abusive father, and we're partially blind, unable to process these details and complexity because this is a story and projections that we have blown off our head. This has happened to me in all my relationships. Not, And I'm also <laughs> a contributor in the narrative and writing this script in my mind and also placing that on my own partner. And then, yeah, so again, the six people. The other is this negative parent withholding of love or abandoning or attacking or blaming or misportraying or falsely accusing or diminishing that. So the capacity for that whole object processing is now inaccessible as partners enter a part object world. Words are grenades because again, when, because communication and speaking is the most dangerous thing that we can do in that moment. And withdrawal is punitive, right? I always talk about, if you hear me talk about silence, there's two types of relational silence. One that serves the relationship that says, hey, I need a timeout. I need to go get this movie script in my head straightened out so we can come back to it. And that's love and that's leaning in and working through and resolving the relationship. And the other one is working against the relationship, which is a the stonewalling of the relationship, which is by the way, guys, the ultimate form of domination. So then you get this really interesting power struggle and dynamic where you have the immovable object of the island, the immovable object of the one stonewalling, going silent and unwilling to lean in, which again, I say this, is actually an act of violence towards the relationship because there is no restore. So you get the immovable object here and you have the unstoppable force. And both of them are saying to the other that they're controlling the relationship. And yes, they are both controlling. The immovable object is saying no, and the 
unsubtle force is saying yes. And they're both colliding in that moment in their narrative in this movie. And both are locked in their respective one-person binary system and unable to re-engage in any pro-social or reappraising activities. And these two massive defensive systems are now face-to-face and these two armies are deployed and ready to strike and run. Either strike or run. Or both. Sometimes they strike and then they run away, right? Shoot and <laughs> shoot and run. Or one or the other, right? Strike. And this is causing hurt. And in relationships, you're going to have hurt and pain. And these can be hurtful, painful moments. But it goes to hurt to harm or pain to suffering when we don't go to the broken bone or the attachment injuries to find a way to resolve it, to stay curious, to stay open. And the other is this, so you get all that going on, right? So again, like I say, all of these multiple dimensions co-occurring simultaneously are now causing this conflict because we're caught up in this movie and projection and a story and we haven't taken the time to do what's really critical in that moment. Take that time out. You hit the circuit breaker in your nervous system to self-soothe, to regulate, to deal with what's going on internally as we're projecting it out externally, looking for that threat in the other person. And at in our projection or story that the other is the negative parent that's withholding love or critical. Because here, the capacity for this whole object processing is inaccessibility as partners in this part-object world. Words, again, are in language and speaking and talking is the most dangerous thing, and these words are grenades. And then, again, withdrawal or avoidance is punitive. It's threatening. It's, it's actually a form of abuse in some ways. And I say that not lightly because imagine if it never gets to a resolution. And you're both locked in this respective one-person system and we're unable to re-engage any pro-social thing here. And that's what keeps happening. And so the one that's trying to resolve it is in their stance and the other person that's avoiding is in their stance. So you have the stance, stance, and now you've got this dance. This vicious cycle, this fear dance, this fear cycle. Because again, something happens, they, there's a trigger, there's a trauma. You have a story, you're interpreting, translating everything, projecting, adding, subtracting, meaning, looking for evidence of supporting all those connecting points that are going on within and between the two of you because you have the within part, that trauma, that fear, and then you're also dealing with that, the dance, which is the space between. And dealing with that, so that's where we get broken, right? We're broken three ways, within, ourselves, and the other person, and the space between. That space between is now part of the narrative and that third person now. So we got to get out from behind that narrative and in that context to begin to see it from a different lens. But here's the movies running. And the director and the producer have left the room with a supporting cast. And actually two movies now are running simultaneously. Again, all these multiple dimensions are running simultaneously, which interlock, amplify, disorganize each other. And that becomes that 
vicious cycle, this pattern. What do we do? Breaking Bad. These power struggles, these one up, one down. If you listen to my other podcasts, we talk about the one up, one down positions where you get into that parent-child, uh, one up, one down, the teacher-student, the sinner, the saint, the lover-beloved, the rescuer-victim, the perpetrator-victim, the top dog, bottom dog, all these players in a drama triangle when we're below the line and not present and awake and conscious begins to play. And then we have to get above the line and present and aware and conscious to what's co-occurring within and between us. So the power of one here now is the power of one is it only takes one person to change the rhythm of this dance. One person. So breaking bad projections. Get out of that that movie that's in your head. Because <coughs> it's at these moments that the this is where the regulatory function here, let's say, of a therapist or myself, I do trauma-informed relationship psychotherapy. So getting out so you have someone who is objective, who can help you translate and interpret the signature moves in each of your stances through this therapeutic kind of regulatory moves. <coughs> we can shift the partners out of, we can work together, get our, these partners out of the seemingly unresolved Brinkmanship, this gridlock, this impasse. And we might ask, for example, let's say, <coughs> please forgive me, I've been sick the last couple of weeks here. So I might say something like this, you know, each of you makes complete sense. And this is where it's really important that in our relationships that we're able to validate the other person's reality and experience and we're able to lean in and validate and say, and again, it's not about being right. I don't want to be right. I just, what we all want is to be understood. And that's compassion. That's empathy. That's curiosity, which is not something we often got as children. So here, your attitude and behavior, I let my couples know, your attitude and behavior are built on this experience. You're not psychotic. You're not crazy. The only problem is that, uh, is this is that, this is also true for your partner. They're running their pattern, projecting their movie, and what you're going to. And so, what do we got to do? What needs to happen? So, both of you have these deeply emotional experience, and both of you want to be understood, and you might have to slow it down, and. Who of you will start listening? Again, the power of one, it only takes one person to change the rhythm of dance. And it takes really listening, understanding, validating. I call it your love talk. This is a love talk. It's a loving act, taking charge of your love and bringing logic to it. So love and logic, love and logic are going to win the day. It's just, love just doesn't conquer it because love can be threatened without power and logic. So this is really important. And we begin to, we can understand that this projections process is a part object projection in which one partner sees the other only in his or her bad and evil aspects. Again, you're the bad guy, okay? And you're the problem for pointing out the problem. 
And the solution to the problem is to get rid of you or to attack you, blame you, criticize, and get into this complain, defend, complain, defend pattern. And you have that, the four horsemen of the, the apocalypse that uh, Gottman talks about, where there's a complaint, then there's a defensiveness, withdrawal, then it goes to, if that goes unresolved, it goes to more contempt and the stonewalling altogether, which ultimately will end the relationship because there's that gridlock. And it's kind of like the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? So as a child, you had, there was good. And all that good stuff that occurs in relationship, in marriage, in your family, all that happens. And sometimes, hopefully it's only sometimes, bad things happen. And a child is able to kind of make the protest or whatever, and the mom and dad, whether it cools down or, you know, they get back to this love and connection and they lean back in and they're, they get back to the good. But in these scenarios, in these dances, when you stand, 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 when there is, and it goes into the ugly, and you got all these things occurring and projecting onto your partner and on each other and all these six people that are occurring simultaneously, all these multiple dimensions, you go in the ugly. And the ugly is there is no reparation back to good there is no way to resolve it or repair it or reconcile and that creates this mutual injury in your partnership now you're really hurting each other and harming one another so this is where now the partner is now the threatening active activated ghost the stonewaller right I always say sometimes it's kind of like sometimes love is a circus. Other times it's a ghost town. Other times it's a dead end. Well, this becomes all of those sometimes at once co-occurring. And the work in that with me when you come in is to get you to understand as the moving of one or both of these partners towards a whole object projection, which means you have these two binary positions and you're both in these fixed ways of being, these patterns, these rigid patterns you're both running, as whether it's a wave or an island, and you're trying to lean into this, what I call your third pole that you're both facing and both committed to, so that you're doing nothing to erode the, the, the we-ness, the unity, the, the sovereignty, the love, or, or the selfhood, to be able to validate the other person. So the I to we, the me to we, so this is really important that we begin to get to the bigger picture because the partner becomes, in this moment, again, the attacking, rageful father and a mother who disappears when in depression or alcohol and drops the child repeatedly and all that hurt begins to ensue. Okay, so this is part of our going back on. So again, the partner is now threatening and it activates the ghost and the fear response. And then you got this going on. And then work in this, when you work with me in these sessions, so we can understand as the movement and the moving of one or both partners toward this, again, third pole or whole object projection to put it all on the screen here, and which the other is like, okay, all that's occurring now. And this is which the other is like this threatening figure, right? Whether it's striking, harming, uh, hurting, um, you know, the attack that you might perceive, uh, and then, or the abandoning parent, the ghost, the one that's the turtle pulling away, distancing, 
and there is no reparation, and you're both got in that vicious cycle again. Okay, so this is important because another way of understanding this projective field is referring to, again, that part object projections as acting out behavior. You're acting out in that your brain, your nervous system, and again, the body keeps score, but you're acting out. Word, because you didn't, as children, you didn't have words or language to communicate those feelings or emotions or thoughts. And so you just kind of suppress them and you numb out all the negative feelings and numbing out the positive feelings and disqualifying the positive and that polarization of black and white, all or nothing, all good, all bad, overgeneralization, all these distortions that come flying out of our head. And that becomes the emotional psychological work, and we can't really move forward because of the defenses, ego defenses, and, and, and this becomes so primitive and rigid, activating everything against the exploration of feelings, that sense of curiosity, wonderment, hey, instead of going from what's wrong with you to what's happening, to have that reality testing and perspective checking corrective emotional experience that we want to create to get back to that sense of safety and security in a relationship. Instead of being able to collaborate now in that therapy, okay, we want to be able to maintain the therapeutic alliance and we want to be able to be with you, you know, instead of acting out the abandonment, at least temporarily, the process that I take you through is to begin to hit the circuit breaker, take that time out, recognize that we all are making these projections with these highly, so at this moment, we get into these highly disorganized partners and patterns, and the process of gaining a therapeutic collaboration and alliance can be kind of lengthy for some of us, right? It takes time because all this stuff gets rooted into the DNA. So when I talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, I prefer to call it post-traumatic stress reordering because it's not a disorder, it's trauma. It's something that happened to you. And I bias, and you hear it in all my podcasts, because this is how I view the context of relationship theory and relationship healing, is that we are born into relationship for love, connection, belonging, and that sense of safety and security in the world, okay, and our attachment figures. And then we, you know, we learn relationship through relationship, because as children, we live what we learn, observe what's modeled, what we come to expect, and then we have, then we get wounded in relationships, right? Trauma, abandonment, violence, abuse, and all that occurs, and now we're wounded in the context of this relationship, and that trauma ensues, and it creates attachment injuries, a break, a snap, and something happens, and we, the story is, I can't trust anyone to be there for me, or I can't trust that I won't be abandoned, I can't trust that... Uh, I'm not going to be attacked or smothered or a sense of enmeshment or a loss of freedom or control or, or that sense of powerlessness and helplessness in that moment. Ah, oh, what a vicious cycle we get caught up in, this fear dance, fear cycle, which is one of the things that we go through in your work with couples is go through your fear cycle and so you can track and understand what's actually occurring, right? Because all this is really important, really good to understand that all this is occurring in the projection in our movie. Because when we get in these highly disorganized things, this come close, get away, you know, but we've got to be able to get back to that secure base. But really achieving this alliance is a formidable and important step in the work we do as couple, with couples. 
And that's part of the trauma-informed relationship therapy, uh, psychotherapy method that I have created to work with couples. This is a, my 20 years of research and working with military veterans, first responders, uh, blending families, uh, where there's been aversive childhood experiences uh, from abuse or, you know, having chronic, you know, surgeries, invasive stuff. All those things can imprint and impact us in our ways of, are they there for me, right? So this is that collaboration to get to the third pool and to be able to be able to go to our partners and go hand-to-hand with this increasing capacity for self-reflection and function. It's the love and logic. It's the emotional and the intelligence. It's those two things working, collaborating together as you work with me to help you bring the love and logic. Because for some of you, you guys are all about the logic and without the love, right? And you got to add love to logic. And where there's love, a lot of times we don't have the logic, the emotional intelligence to it. So we got to add the logic and the understanding of what's going on. So as this capacity grows within and between, that space between, the access to the self, the I, the me, is more available and I can self-regulate and become more differentiated and also more connected. We can stay connected through the conflict. And because as these emerge, as we're emerging from this projection field, this movie, our work together with couples and, and families and working together is we're not going to regard the projection or activation of these early templates or imprints or as being pathological or wrong or, you know, to try to really get to a place of seeing the innocence and not the guilt and the atonement of all that as the undoing of all that fear and shame and returning to the love and logic that we need to bring into that relationship. Again, where if you're a logical guy or you're a logical woman and you're really about, hey, you know, trying to stick with the logic without the emotion or the love, then we got to, again, add the love. And if there's all this love and emotion and, you know, hurt feelings, then we got to add the logic so that we're all leaning. Those two things have to lean in there together. And we're going to talk about that. And if you go back to some of my other episodes about the power struggle and how love and logic kind of get, you know, become uh, opposing forces here and how we see our partner, the six people in the relationship. So... But we want to be able to get aware that there's appearance. This cannot be avoided. These are truly inevitable and essential dynamics in our adult relationships. And we can see the emergence of these patterns of strong feelings and, and ego defenses and defense mechanisms. You know, And we look at the conflict as the perfect blessing, just the right. Because going back to where we're broken, we are also healed in the context of the relationship itself and that's the vehicle that's the path that's the practice and so like an irritant a piece of sand in an oyster becomes the pearl and so the conflict is good for us because that's our the crucible that we're in to take that further expand that context and those language and tools to be able to get to a healthier and more vital self and I a me as well as a we Right? There's three people, strengthening all three of those. And we've got to be able to 
start working on that. Because highly, let's say, highly disregulated couples or individuals and couples, you know, this requires months and several rounds of commenting or regulating for the part object projection to break that pattern and to have a corrective emotional experience to kind of like I was saying with the Stephen Covey stories so that we have a shift in that projection and perception of the reality in our, within ourselves and the other person. And then we might be able to start finally seeing our partners soften. And then we're able to breathe and become slower, more regular, more regulated. The tension in the jaw and the belly, the neck, and that face diminishes and you're able to relax. And you go from this staring, you know, Ur. The gur, you know, the gur in that moment to a more like this warmer gaze of relaxation of the hands and appearing your body begins to regulate. And this is with increase and with this increased self-regulation, the reality of your partner in the here and now can come back into focus and no longer are we making projections from pain or fear or shame, or whatever, we're able to move on. And we facilitate that process in therapy as a, as a trauma-informed relationship psychotherapist in this method that I've developed <coughs> in this process of unwinding the triggers and unwinding and rewinding the movie through these comments and work through some of this cross-regulatory moves and these signature moves that we're all bringing in, or by redirecting each other to explore the other's face instead of scanning that your partner's nervous system like a scared little boy or scared little girl and I got a lot of that because through this ensuing integration process we're able to integrate which is wholeness and bring that both of you back to make these connections between the imaginary partner the one that we're projecting here that appeared in the movie as the monster and the partner sitting in a room with them, the real, right? Instead of that view of self and view of other, you know, we're getting to the reality and clearing out all that debris and story and context and getting to the real, right? Rather than the imaginary or perception of the danger that's... And again, there is real dangers. So I'm not saying if there's abuse, addiction, and all these other things... Yeah, you got to do some deeper work around that. But we've got to get into that stuff here because partners can, we can begin to, again, reverse engineer and rewrite this history and weave past experiences into new understanding of uh, the self. So we can begin to understand what is going on, what's happening, reality testing, such an important thing. But we want to create this new narrative of one's own life and the partnership and the we of each other so that can develop and then we can both have a narrative in the light of these shared backgrounds and unprocessed materials so that we can start not being traumatized, re-traumatized and re-victimized in, in these moments of pain and fear that we can begin to see our partner and be able to identify, name and tame the dragon. So when that dragon has you dangling over the cliff, or you see your partner in their vortex dangling over the cliff, and the terror of that. Again, we're not here to be caretakers for each other's wounded child, but to be playmates for each other's healthy child. 
so that healthy both of you can come alongside and play again and relax and stay curious and soften and be those playmates begin to bring light of your shared backgrounds and these unprocessed materials that are occurring and co-occurring simultaneously in that moment. And then you begin to create a new story. A new narrative can begin to emerge as you both are walking down this path and practice and whatever comes up, we're able to face that together and face the dragon, name and tame that, and a new movie can be written and produced in the coming weeks and months as you work with me and that the actors can also sit in this director's seat and determine more intentionally what plot, okay, what plot, what direction, what action, what genre uh, your lives can play out and what you want to both co-create. Because now you have a, through this hard-won confidence, been able to strengthen your attachment, your bond, the connections. And you're not questioning or mistrusting that but you're able to understand the certain vulnerabilities and sensitivities 